0: The uh, October 13th, uh, 2016 issue of the New England Journal of Medicine is, in fact, an invitation to meditate on the subject of cancer screening. There are three articles that discuss the consequences of cancer screening. First, uh, there is an article that reviews the 10-year outcomes after monitoring, surgery, or radiation therapy for localized prostate cancer. There is an associated article that discusses some of the side effects related to patients who are getting radiation therapy or surgery for their prostate cancer. And finally, there is an article titled Breast Cancer Tumor Size Overdiagnosis and Mammography Screening Effectiveness. In addition to that, there are two accompanying editorials. The first is titled Treatment or Monitoring for Early Prostate Cancer. The second is Solving the Problem of Overdiagnosis. The article that reviews the 10-year outcomes after monitoring surgery or radiotherapy for localized prostate cancer came from the UK, and that study had over 82,000 men who were screened with PSA. 2,664 of them were diagnosed with localized prostate cancer based on that screening. Of those, 1,643 agreed to be randomized to the arms of active monitoring, surgery, or radiation therapy. After randomization, these patients were followed for 10 years. The results showed that there were no statistically significant differences in the rate of death from prostate cancer or from any cause among the three groups. It is true that patients in the surgery and radiation therapy arms had lower incidences of disease progression and metastasis, but this did not translate into increased uh, mortality. The study found that 27 men would need to have a radical prostatectomy instead of active monitoring to avoid one patient developing metastatic disease. 33 men would need to be treated with radiation therapy rather than active monitoring to avoid one patient developing metastatic disease. At 10 years, out of 1,643 men, there were only 17 prostate cancer deaths. Eight were in the active monitoring group, five were in the surgery group, and four in the radiation uh, therapy group. There was no significant difference in the rate of death from prostate cancer and no significant difference in the rate of death from any cause. After 10 years of follow-up, the rate of death from PSA-detected prostate cancer was only 1%. The study clearly shows that detecting prostate cancer by means of PSA testing does not save lives. In fact, the only effect of intervening with treatment in such patients is to trade the symptoms of possible metastatic disease with the symptoms that are attendant to radiation therapy, or surgery, namely urinary incontinence, impotence, or chronic uh, diarrhea and bleeding. Because such screening simply exchanges one set of problems with another without any effect on survival, I think it's fair to call it meddlesome and ineffective. The accompanying editorial seemed to ignore the salient points of the article by lumping the development of metastatic disease and death secondary to prostate cancer into one group. By doing so, the editorialist really missed the main points of the article. And those main points are, as noted above, that all that PSA screening seems to accomplish is to trade the risk of one bad outcome with another bad outcome. The morbidity of bone metastases is simply swapped with the morbidity of surgery, or radiation therapy, with no impact on survival. And when it comes to cancer screening, survival is everything. I think that it's clear that PSA screening is a failed experiment. In 2012, the United States Preventative Services Task Force recommended against routine PSA screening because it believed that the potential harms outweigh the benefits. This has recently been modified and presently uh, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force believes that the potential benefits of screening may or may not outweigh the potential harms. It recommends an individualized decision with regard to screening between the ages of 55 and 69. It advises against screening for patients 70 or older. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has considered actually penalizing physicians for ordering PSA tests on a routine screening basis. Finally, the Advisory Committee on Cancer Prevention of the EU has never recommended routine PSA screening. The second article in that issue of the New England Journal of Medicine is titled Breast Cancer Tumor Size, Overdiagnosis, and Mammography Screening Effectiveness. The goal of mammography is to identify women who, without screening, would eventually present with larger breast cancers. I think all oncologists see this as a worthy goal since smaller tumors are often, but not always, associated with a better prognosis. Furthermore, smaller tumors may allow for the omission of adjuvant or neoadjuvant chemotherapy, may allow for chemotherapy that's less toxic, may permit smaller radiation fields, and may allow for lesser surgical procedures. But the problem is that mammography is essentially a backward-looking technology that is fixed in the anatomical era of cancer, an era that all oncologists are now trying to move beyond. Mammography is also oblivious to the biological variations in breast cancers independent of what they look like radiographically. Over time an effective mammography screening strategy should result in the discovery of progressively smaller tumors in the screening population. If the detected smaller tumors signal then the screening program is probably effective. But if those smaller tumors represent noise, then what we have is a classic case of overdiagnosis. I'm just going to read the definition of overdiagnosis from Wikipedia. Overdiagnosis is the diagnosis of quote, disease, end of quote, that will never cause symptoms or death during a patient's lifetime. Overdiagnosis is a side effect of screening for early forms of disease. Although screening saves lives in some cases, in others it may turn people into patients unnecessarily and may lead to treatments that do no good and perhaps do harm. This study in the New England uh, Journal reviewed trends in breast cancer size at diagnosis in the United States from 1975 to to 2012. The data was obtained from the Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results Program. This program is a huge registry of cancers in the United States and represents about 10 percent of the US population. It is considered the gold standard in cancer epidemiology. Several things were measured. First of all, the size of tumors detected by mammography over time. Secondly, The 10-year risk of death from breast cancer, first before widespread use of mammography, which were uh, the years 1975 through 1979, and then after widespread mammography. The diagnosis in those cases was made between the years 2000 and 2002. There was an analysis of the relative contributions of screening versus improved adjuvant systemic therapy on breast cancer mortality. What the study showed was that for large tumors, the declining cancer death rate was entirely explained by improved adjuvant systemic therapy and had nothing to do with mammography. For smaller tumors, the apparent beneficial effects of screening were actually artifacts, and they were due to three well-known biases. First of all, the bias of overdiagnosis, which we just discussed, the bias known as lead-time bias, and finally length bias. Mammography is effective at identifying small tumors that are not detectable on physical exam. However, mammography has resulted in a marked increase in the detection of small tumors out of proportion to the expected reduction in large tumors over time. Thus, mammography is very good at detecting tumors that would probably never become apparent clinically. This is the definition of overdiagnosis and explains why mammography does not reduce overall mortality. And with regard to overdiagnosis, I just want to uh, briefly mention a bizarre but I think important anomaly in the data. If you look at the patients from 2000, the years 2000 to 2002, who were found on mammography to have a diagnosis of either carcinoma in situ or invasive cancers less than one sonometer, these patients actually had a 10-year relative survival of greater than 100%. What that means is those women who were found to have small abnormalities on mammography and and ultimately were found to have either small invasive cancers or ductal carcinoma in situ, those women were actually more likely than age-matched women in the general population to survive 10 years. A major problem with regard to mammography is, as I mentioned earlier, it's based on anatomy, and it does not take into consideration the molecular biology of breast cancer. And we know that breast cancers are increasingly classified, prognosticated, and increasingly treated based on their biological properties and markers. Cancers with favorable molecular features have prognoses that are not dependent on size, which undercuts the basic premise of mammography. Proponents of mammography, and that will include patients that criticize this study and many many other studies like it, continually argue that improved technology impeaches the conclusions of the study. But actually, as resolution and interpretation improve, the problems of overdiagnosis, lead time bias, and length time will just get worse. The way I see it, mammography is therefore in a technological death trap, with better resolution and interpretation only resulting in more women being called back, needless biopsies, and epidemics of pseudo-disease just want to go over some of these inherent biases. Uh, again, we mentioned uh, overdiagnosis uh, bias already. Uh, I think it's best summarized as saying that it's an exaggeration of the duration of survival of patients with mammograph- mammographically detected tumors by including subclinical pseudo-disease that would never uh, behave in any way that, that had any impact on survival. Lead time bias is an exaggeration of the duration of survival caused by an artifact of simply starting the survival clock earlier by detecting tumors earlier. So it looks like patients are living longer, but actually the natural history of the disease is not affected. The most difficult of these biases to understand is length bias. That's an exaggeration of duration of survival because screening is likelier to pick up slowly growing tumors. That is because faster growing tumors become symptomatic and clinically apparent earlier, thus decreasing the likelihood that they're going to be discovered by mammography itself. Hence, the population of tumors that are found by screening is falsely enriched with indolent disease. In summary, the article argues persuasively that screening mammography does not save lives, but instead it's creating an illusion of doing so by statistical artifacts and by conflation with improved systemic therapy of breast cancer. The accompanying editorial was titled Solving the Problem of Overdiagnosis. Although the editorialist did identify some shortcomings of the study, she agreed that mammographic overdiagnosis is an important problem. She suggested reducing overdiagnosis by targeting a population of patients at greater risk of breast cancer rather than the general population. However, doing so would be, in fact, an admission that mammography is not suited for its current role. The editorial calls for a change in the diagnostic criteria, which have resulted in a kind of threshold creep, which expands the definition of, quote, cancer without benefiting patients. Present cancer classification schemes may actually shed darkness rather than light on the subject of breast cancer. For example, is all carcinoma in situ really cancer? I think Woody Allen said it best with regard to classification schemes that don't mean anything. He once famously said, everything is or is not an Oldsmobile. There are barriers to making screening more rational and useful, and these are identified uh, in the the editorial. First of all, political agendas. There are many groups now heavily invested in the concept of screening mammography, and they're not going to go away. There's a whole industry, multi-billion dollar industry, involved in screening mammography, and that's not going away either. There is guilt about not undergoing screening. And most importantly is the fact that imaging technologies advance faster uh, than biological methods of diagnosis. Finally, I'd like to meditate on the following and ask you to do so. Why is screening for colorectal cancer and cervical cancer such an unequivocal success that clearly saves lives. What is different about those two diseases and their screening as compared with breast cancer and also prostate cancer? Well, colorectal and cervical cancers develop from clearly defined premalignant precursors that transform at a rate that permits interruptions of their natural histories. They also occur in mucosa that is essentially external and more amenable to biopsy. Screening involves, in the cases of colorectal and cervical cancer, detection of histological, virological, or DNA-based abnormalities, or the detection of pathological bleeding rather than radiographic abstractions. And finally, the biology of breast cancer may make radiographic screening inapplicable. Undergoing regular mammography is now a ritual. It gives some patients a false sense of security. It terrorizes other patients, often for no reason, and drains huge financial resources that could be better used in our efforts to decrease mortality. If it turns out that the biology of breast cancer and the biology of prostate cancer make those diseases inherently resistant to screening approaches, then mammography and PSA screening both represent fool's errands.